Hey, and welcome to Basecamp. This is the podcast of all things all people, and specifically the ATAP Exploration Society, which is um, a, a community of believers in, who are seeking to go into the deepest and darkest places uh, with the name of Jesus and his good news. And Basecamp is our, our debrief place, is our hub for when we come back. What is it that we need to talk about? What is it that we need to brief? Um, and so we're going to dive in here in a minute and talk about outsiders and the Holy Spirit. But I want to invite you to um, become a part of the Exploration Society by subscribing to the Exploration Society Journal. It's our email magazine that goes out every two weeks full of articles, full of podcasts, information about live events. And we actually have a live event coming up October 29th with Dr. Joel Mutamale. Uh, He's going to be talking about the, the spiritual realm and cosmic geography. And he's going to be doing that at Hope House Coffee in Forest City, North Carolina, which is my home base. Um, my office is actually in the same building as Hope House Coffee. And it's an awesome environment. And Dr. Mutamale, who's a friend of mine, who is going to be coming uh, to talk to us about an area of specialty of his, which is the, the spiritual world, which I know that just by the fact that you're listening to this episode, you're probably at least a little interested in that. And so uh, information about tickets are going to be available. Um, but the best way to find out about that type of stuff and everything else going on with the ATAP Exploration Society is through that society journal. And so follow the link in the show notes uh, to go subscribe to that. And so I don't want to waste any more time, uh, even though this is a very short intro. Um, this is a super interesting episode, at least to me, talking about um, how do we engage with non-believers on the topic of the Holy Spirit? And as you're going to find out, it really starts with the Christian evaluating, how do I even begin to understand the Holy Spirit myself and God in his Trinitarian nature? Um, and so, uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. Let me know your thoughts on it. Let me know any other questions you have on this topic or others. Reach out to me um, through my email, jeremy at allthingsallpeople.org, or you can follow me on Instagram at allthings.allpeople. Let's get to it. The voice memo from Felicia started as most of hers do. She has an unmatched energy and her messages to me are always a reflection of her own deep thinking. Simply put, if I see her name pop up on my phone, I know my day is about to change in some way. She went on to tell me about how her women's theology small group was discussing the Holy Spirit and the question of how to explain the Holy Spirit came up. Even more interesting, they began to discuss how they would explain the topic to someone from another religion. One of them said, you should ask your friend, all things, all people. Listening to Felicia laugh at the notion that my name was in fact, all things, all people. I paused for a moment to appreciate just how effective our branding has gotten. (laughs) There are people in the world who don't know my name, but they know ATAPS. Perfect. I told them I would ask you and see if you have any thoughts, Felicia said. As I processed the question, I began to realize just how much depth there was to formulating an answer. I immediately realized that I have never thought about how I would explain the Holy Spirit to someone from another faith or worldview. It seems that much of our explanation of the Holy Spirit is typically wrapped up in apologetic arguments seeking to offer proof for Trinitarianism. But most of our efforts to explain God to non-believers has historically been focused on the Father and the Son. 
After I responded with Felicia that I would get to work on the question, I immediately began to scribble notes in my yellow legal pad that I usually have with me. At the top of the page, I underline a note to myself. One explanation does not fit all. This is an excerpt from uh, an article that I sent out as part of the Exploration Society journal titled Outsiders and the Holy Spirit. And um, I go through that article as I'm going to go through here and talk about different faith groups and their views of not just the Holy Spirit, but spirit and spiritualism in general and how it would impact this conversation. But I start in the article as the, in the same way that I want to start in this episode of the podcast and really any incident where I'm explaining the Holy Spirit to anybody is I want to start by just talking about what Christians actually believe about the Holy Spirit. And we can't start anywhere other than scripture. And I would actually go ahead and start by saying that too many Christians think it's impossible to explain the Holy Spirit. Now, as you're going to find, I am of the persuasion that we really can't explain everything about God uh, in, in his Trinitarian nature. And we really can't explain the whole of any one of the persons of the Trinity. But that's not to say we shouldn't try. And we'll start in Acts 5, which might be a weird place to start. <laughs> but I like to talk about the time that Peter rebukes Ananias in Acts 5 after he and his wife were found to be deceptive in their dealings with the church. Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Later on in that same passage, he says, you have not lied to man, but to God. Here we see one of the many instances in scripture where the mention of the spirit of God is given the same weight of every other mention of God. The Bible is full of allusion to the deity of the Holy Spirit. Just as important though, is the Bible's constant witness to the fact that the spirit has personality and interacts with humanity in an intimate way. Ephesians 4 says the spirit can be grieved by humans, and 1 Corinthians 12 teaches that the gifts of the spirit are given as the spirit wills. So Christians have historically understood the Holy Spirit to be the third person of the Trinitarian nature of God. And I, and, and I should stop and say too, I sometimes focus on saying it that way as opposed to just saying the Trinity because I find sometimes that when Christians say the Trinity, they're sort of just nodding towards um, like what, what ultimately ends up being colloquially as a group of three different gods. And that's not it at all. Um, this is one person of God among two others, all three wrapped into one essence. Uh, it is a topic that is often misunderstood, even in Christian circles. And it's one of the most controversial ideas the world has ever seen. Let's stop and think about that. The way Christians formulate their explanation of who God is, what God is, is one of the most controversial ideas the world has ever seen. And it's often the theological catalyst for pseudo-Christian groups, we'll talk about here in a little bit, to break away from the rest of Christendom. And it will usually be the first thing a Muslim will take issue with when discussing faith with a Christian. To the rest of the world, Trinitarianism and the Spirit's role in particular often seems to be, at best, impossible to understand, and at worst, a contradiction. It has never helped, though, that even inside of Christianity, there is little agreement over who and what the Spirit is. The end result 
is that the rest of the world has no idea who or what the spirit is because most Christians don't know enough about it to explain it to them. Instead, we offer salvation through Jesus as if the spirit plays no role in a person's regeneration. If the theology of the early church is to be taken seriously, the modern Christian must realize that the Holy Spirit plays just as much a role in their salvation and sanctification as the Father and the Son, despite the fact that it is much more difficult to conceptualize the role and function of the Spirit. A biblical understanding of pneumatology, which is the study of the Holy Spirit, may actually be the key to unlocking a more fruitful evangelism among other faiths and worldviews. This is even more important when one considers how different the conversation about the spirit might be depending on who you're talking to and the preconceived notions various people might have depending on the religious ideas they subscribe to. I remember when I was an undergraduate student at Liberty University um, that I, 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 you know, I've, I think part of the reason why I've been like vaguely successful in like podcasting um, especially in the early days of what we called the ATAP podcast, where all I would do is interview Christians, um, is I was like obsessed <laughs> with walking around the religion department um, at Liberty and going into every professor's office, like even professors that I didn't know, even professors that I didn't have classes with. And talking to them, like I would literally just walk into their office and um, talk to them about what I knew was their specialty because I just, I learned so much more doing that than I did in class, honestly. And there was this professor, his name was um, Dr. John Morrison. And he was like, he was, he typically only taught grad students. I never had a class with him, but I knew that he was um, at least really familiar with a theologian named Karl Barth who, who I'm still fascinated with to this day. And I would go into Dr. Morrison's office and he had this office where like there was no room on the floor because he had stacks of books, um, waist high all along his floor. And I would go in there and I would talk to him about Carl Bart because I knew that he, he knew a lot about him. And, and one thing that he said that I think changed me and changed the way I view God was that he said that one of the most revolutionary things about Bart was how Trinitarian his theology was. And, you know, Bart's a really complex person, and I'm not really sure I understand a lot of his theology even to this day. Um, but Dr. Morrison was right. Like when, when Bart talked about God, he was talking about him in his Trinitarian nature, first and foremost, he wasn't just separating out Jesus for some things and the spirit for other things and, and the father for other things. Um, and honestly, I think too many Christians do that. And I can understand why, and I'm not saying I have it mastered by, by any means, but I think the reason why Christians drift so much into heresy when it comes to the Trinity, and I'm talking like heresies like modalism, which is the idea that God takes different forms in the different persons of the Trinity or, or heresies like Arianism, which is the idea that God, the father is actually God. And then the, the spirit and the son are created beings. Um, is that the reason why we drift so easily into that is because that's actually how we think about God. And we, we often attribute true Godhood to the father. And, and actually I can prove this to you in a sense, because if you really think about the way that you talk about God, 
I bet you that when you say God, you usually mean the Father. And and ultimately, while that might be an innocent mistake that a lot of us kind of trip into, is that's inherently wrong, right? Our God is Trinitarian. God is one God in three persons. And we kind of have to start there. And I, I, I would even invite you, like, maybe you need to pause this podcast and really think about that. Like, really think about how you talk about God. And um, it's not a rebuke. It's not like a, 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 a charge that we should all be ashamed of. But I think it's just an invitation to really begin to reflect on, is my personal relationship with God um, functioning in the f- same fashion as the heresies that we preach against, like modalism. Um, because before we get to other groups, I think we need to really reflect on that. Um, the The interesting thing, though, is that when we talk about talking to other peoples, other groups about the Holy Spirit, is that I, I've broken it down into these categories. Who we think we're talking to, um, who we are probably talking to, who's at our door, who we think isn't here, and who thinks we're polytheists. And so the first group that I, I want to talk about is who we think we're talking to. Uh, and that's atheists and materialists. Um, those same undergraduate years I mentioned before were filled with instruction that made it seem as if most non-Christians I would come across were atheists in the same fashion as Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens, Sam Harris, that group. And these new atheists that we, we call them still to this day were militantly anti-theist. And they approached spirituality with a materialist worldview. Many of them suggested that the whole of reality was purely material. Therefore, any truth claims stemming from a spiritual point of view were seen as laughable and antiquated. And if you were around during those those days, like the early 2000s, the late 90s, early 2000s, you, re- you probably remember um, this group um, and in the attitude that a Hitchens and, and still to this day, Dawkins, um, while even though his influence has waned considerably, um, that they would, man, they were vicious and they were proud of it too. I mean, they had no shame in saying that they thought theism and specifically Christianity had been so damaging to the world that the, the required attitude was one of, um, ridicule and one of just a perpetual antagonism. And so my first years in ministries were spent looking for these types of atheists only to find that they were not as prevalent as I and many other Christians thought they would be. They were not as prevalent as, as some of my professors even said they would be. That being said, there are still some who suggest that the immaterial and spiritual components of Christianity are solely matters of faith and even fairy tale. So to people with this point of view, the Holy Spirit will certainly be a stumbling block and not only a stumbling block, but actually a viewpoint in which you'll find very little to no common ground with someone who claims to be a materialist, um, someone who believes that, that reality is only physical, only material. And I've found that in conversing with people like this, it's important to explain clearly why I have the beliefs that I have and ask questions to find out if they are actually as materialist as they suggest. Uh, questions like, do you believe in ghosts? 
Um, questions like, do you believe in the afterlife? Do you believe in any form of spiritual power? Do you believe in um, fate? Do you believe in the universe? Questions like this can uncover that some atheists are not in fact materialists. There's a big difference between atheism and materialism. If someone who claims to be an atheist has room in their worldview for some form of spirit, even if it's not anything that resembles the Christian view of spirit, then they have room for the Holy Spirit. And I would seek to explain that if the God I believe to be real actually exists, then it would be logical to believe that he is present in some fashion in the spiritual world of ghosts, in the spiritual world of a universe that dictates things. Even something like karma, you know, an impersonal cosmic law um, however impersonal it might be, it still isn't purely material. So the conversation might not be geared necessarily at trying to win an atheist over to share my belief, instead focusing on showing that the Christian belief in the Holy Spirit is not as foolish as they might believe. And it's important to remember, though, that at least in my experience, most atheists are not Richard Dawkins and Christopher Hitchens. Um, most atheists are genuinely convinced that there is no God. But recent statistics show that most are not as militantly in favor of materialism as many Christians believe them to be. So this should be encouraging as it leaves room for most conversation that we think there isn't room for. So my key advice in, in discussing the Holy Spirit and really any matters of faith with this group um, that we think we are surrounded by is that we should ask questions to determine if the atheist is as materialist as you think they are. If not, seek to explain why God is present and active in the immaterial world. And I would, I would encourage you with this. Statistics show that of the group called the religious nuns, N-O-N-E-S, uh, meaning that there's this demographic, um, especially amongst millennials and Gen Z, um, of people who claim no religious affiliation, in the West, because of how persuasive and how impactful people like Hitchens and Dawkins were, um, we, we mistakenly believe that most of the religious nuns are materialists, and they actually aren't. They're actually the slowest growing group within that camp, the religious nuns. Um, the, the group of who we are probably talking to is who I call spiritual agnostics, and they are actually who we are likely surrounded by. Because exploring the religious landscape in the 21st century Western world has led me to believe that most non-believers are really spiritual agnostics. Um, this entails a hesitancy to make truth claims as to the existence or nature of a God, but leaves room for spirituality. Many religious nuns, as they are called, maintain belief in an afterlife of some kind, immaterial forces, ghosts, other tenants that might have previously only been found within the ranks of the religious. So around my area of North Carolina, uh, an entire day can be spent wandering metaphysical and occult shops in places like Asheville, filled with crystals, filled with charms and other tools to engage with the spiritual world. Yet there are few in those shops that would claim an allegiance to any one particular set of religious dogma. So while the notion of engaging those found in this world on the topic of the Holy Spirit might seem intimidating, it is potentially the most fruitful way to approach the subject of the Christian faith and message. Um, because we have to keep in mind that 
between a Christian and someone within the metaphysical movement, there are actually quite a few shared beliefs. Both agree that there is a spiritual component to reality that is just as real as the physical. We disagree, though, on who is over and above that spiritual world. Um, And so these people might entertain the use of crystals and charms. um, And let's not even go that far. Some of these people might not fit into a New Age camp at all. But the statistics and and experience shows that many of the people we're surrounded by who are slow to claim religion are not quick to discard all of the things found in religion. And so the advice for this group is that for the person who readily believes in spirituality yet rejects Christianity, we can seek to show that the Christian worldview has more to say about this unseen realm as uh, Michael Heiser, the late Michael Heiser uh, taught us, than they might realize. The Holy Spirit is the hallmark component of that discussion and might actually make more sense to the spiritual agnostic than we might expect. Simply put, if you know somebody who you know disavows religion but still kind of nods towards some religious beliefs, I actually think the best thing you might be able to do is to talk about the Holy Spirit because they probably have you know negative thoughts um, about what the church has taught about God the Father or God. Remember that unfortunately the church has has attached that title God to the God of the old Testament alone, who many of these people in this camp might reject because of how they perceive the God of the old Testament. They might even have negative or conflicted thoughts about Jesus, but many of them because of the church's historic inadequacy in engaging people on the topic of the Holy spirit, many of them might actually be really intrigued to find out that this spiritual world that they are at least curious about Um, is governed by God in spiritual form. And so I would encourage you, don't be scared to discuss the Holy Spirit with people in this camp. Um, So then who's at our door? Well, you know who's at our door because literally they're probably at your door. Maybe even today you're going to get a knock on the door from a Latter-day Saint or a Jehovah's Witness. Um, these, these, These folks believe in the Holy Spirit too. They just have completely different beliefs than the rest of Christianity. Latter-day Saints believe that the three persons of the Trinity are actually three separate entities entirely, and that both the Father and Jesus are actually made up of physical bodies. Um, They believe the Spirit is not equal with God at all. Um, You can look at the past episode of this podcast, um, which it was titled, Is God Actually a Human? to learn more about the LDS view of God the Father. Jehovah's Witnesses believe the Holy Spirit is God's active force. They do not believe that the spirit is a personal entity at all and is instead simply a projection of God's will and action. So these beliefs set these groups apart completely from the rest of Christendom and make conversation on the top of the topic of the Holy Spirit extremely difficult. And actually I would say it's probably more difficult than it is even with a spiritual agnostic. So that's why biblical references that show personality and the will of the spirit should remain front and center in these discussions. On the ATAB website, and I'll link it in the notes for this episode, um, we have a, a scripture reference uh, guide for you. It's free to download, and and it lists a lot of these verses. Um, you, you shouldn't offer them up as proof texts. You should offer them up as conversation points um, because many Latter-day Saints and Jehovah's Witnesses, especially Latter-day Saints, um, likely are not familiar with some of these scriptural references 
for Jehovah's Witnesses, because they deal with a translation of the Bible, a faulty and very flawed translation of the Bible called the New World Translation, every single one of those references is different in their Bible. But it should still be mentioned to them because the advice, the key advice for, for the group that's at your door is to not allow the manipulation of the scriptures to stand as truth. Great lengths have been taken by these groups, especially the Jehovah's Witnesses, to reinterpret the meaning of the scriptures regarding the personality and godhood of the spirit. So you need to familiarize yourself with what the scriptures say about the spirit in such a way that you won't be thrown off by their claims. So who we think isn't here? Um, well, this is Hindus and Buddhists and other South Asian groups and Asian groups in, in general. Um, I'd say the group that most Western Christians are least equipped to evangelize are those that come from South Asian backgrounds. And if you know anything about me, you know, this is a group that's near and dear to my heart. Over the last century, uh, groups coming from South Asia and East Asia and Southeast Asia have migrated to the Western world in droves and have become important parts of our culture, but they are neglected and ignored by the Western church. And I believe that that's due to the fact most Christians have no idea how to engage in conversation with them on matters of faith. This is understandable though, because we don't really know what they believe a lot of times. Um, this can be addressed though, you know, um, not just through ATEP content, but um, just learning uh, the basic beliefs of Buddhists, the basic beliefs of Hindus. We have resources on the ATAP website for this. You go check out our, our religions database um, and, and you can learn the basics of these faiths. Most though who belong to South Asian religious traditions profess belief in things like karma and reincarnation. And despite the fact that even the historic teachings of the Buddha seem non-theistic, Buddha really didn't talk about God. And as far as we can tell, uh, much of his teaching taught that there was no supreme being, um, most Buddhists do in fact believe in spiritual figures who play a role in bringing about nirvana in the lives of those in this present age. So the same common ground found within the, 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 the spiritual agnostics are present in this group as well. Along with this though, and I, and I think this can't be missed, an appeal to the Holy Spirit being the Christian's comforter should be highlighted. Simply put, Karma and reincarnation, or samsara as it's, it's called in Sanskrit, can be an intimidating and dismal lens to view the world through. Many Hindus and Buddhists are living lives looking towards a seemingly endless stream of future lives, all aimed at one goal, to be released from the cycle of rebirth they believe all of us are bound to. The belief then that God is present in the spiritual world, he's near to us, and that one of his primary goals is to comfort us. Well, this might prove appealing to those who feel as if the spiritual world has little comfort and instead calls for sacrifice and resignation. So the key advice for those who we think aren't around us, but actually are, is to be sure to highlight who exactly the spirit is and what exactly the spirit does. God is specially loving and cares deeply for us, is very personal, and this is not found in all religious worldviews. Let's pause for a moment and, and, and recognize that the Christian worldview is unique. God is near to us. God loves us. God cares for us. Grace is an immensely powerful thing. And I think we probably need to start most, if not all of our days, just recognizing that. And then lastly, the group who thinks we're polytheists, which is probably more than just one group, certainly, but the key group that thinks we're polytheists are Muslims. Um, the Quran is full of references uh, to the spirit of the holy. I'm going to butcher the Arabic, but it's uh, Ru al-Qudus. 
Most Muslim interpreters, um, this mention of the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of the Holy in the Quran, most interpreters have insisted that these are actually referring to the angel Gabriel. Gabriel uh, dictated uh, on behalf of Allah to Muhammad the words of the Quran. And so um, in much of Islamic tradition, every time the Quran mentions the spirit of the holy, um, many interpreters have attributed this to, to Gabriel. Um, and so this is due to the Islamic doctrine called Tawhid, um, which is the belief that Allah is one. This is actually the, the most central belief in Islam. Um, and so the Quran, which came through the supposed revelation by Gabriel to Muhammad in the sixth century, refers to Christians and Jews often and insists that Trinitarianism is flawed. Um, it's not uncommon for Muslims to accuse Christians of polytheism. It should be mentioned, though, and I think this is hugely interesting, that the Quran's charges against Trinitarianism include Mary as the third member of the Christian Trinity, not the Holy Spirit. The Quran's full of references. Um, actually, there's one instance in the Quran where um, Allah is interrogating Isa or Jesus and asking Jesus if he claimed uh, to be equal with his mother to God and Jesus in the Quran, uh, denies this charge. And so this would demonstrate that Muhammad actually misunderstood the Christian teaching on Trinitarianism entirely. So while many Muslims believe that Christian scripture has been corrupted, it might be helpful to remember that most Muslims have never actually read the Bible. Um, seemingly Muhammad himself only had a loose grasp on what the church taught on the nature of God. So it might be enlightening to a Muslim if they were to explore the scriptures themselves to see what the Bible actually teaches regarding the spirit. So my key advice for discussing the Holy Spirit and God's nature in general with a Muslim um, is this, even the suggestion of the existence of the Holy Spirit is hugely offensive to a Muslim who believes Allah is one and that the Quran's mentions of the spirit of the holy are referring to Gabriel. Despite this, an offer to walk through the Christian scriptures with a Muslim who is unfamiliar with them may actually prove fruitful. And I've talked to many missionaries, um, both overseas in, in Arab states or in Southeast Asia, where Islam is hugely prevalent. This is a really fruitful um, idea that many Muslims are curious to what the Bible says. Um, they've never picked it up and so offer to walk through the New Testament with a Muslim friend. Comparing the Quran's words on the Christian Trinity with what the Bible actually says might demonstrate too that the Quran is a flawed document, um, that what it says about the Trinity is not actually what Christians claim to believe about the Trinity. And so this would, of course, necessitate you being somewhat familiar <laughs> once again with what the Bible says about the Trinity. And, and lastly, when, when I talk about God, when I talk about the Trinity, when I talk about the Holy Spirit, I actually believe that Christians are too quick to explain everything as if everything can be perfectly understood. Overwhelmingly, I find great comfort in the fact that I, that I cannot figure God out. I am a, I am a questioner. I am an asker. I am somebody who wants to understand everything. And I actually take great comfort that I can't figure God out, that I can't understand everything. No more do I feel this than when I ponder his Trinitarian nature. I fully believe it to be a mystery and one that I may never truly understand even in eternity. I believe that an appeal to mystery needs to be more often utilized in our evangelism and apologetics. 
as we communicate as we communicate about our God and what he has done in human history, why would we ever suggest that I could neatly explain everything about him? Why do we think that this would make him more appealing to an outsider? The God of our evangelism should be one that is as deep as the ocean and vast as space. He should be a God we never grow tired of exploring because that is who he is. As we communicate to people of other faiths, whether about the Father, the Son, or the Spirit, we must tell them of a God who cannot be figured out. If our God could be figured out and neatly packaged into an apologetic argument and evangelistic method, would he even be worth worshiping? And so this is by no means an all-inclusive approach, um, a neatly packaged argument or explanation of who the Spirit is, but just an invitation for Christians to at least try at least try and engage not just the topic of the spirit, but the the Trinitarian nature of God in a way that can be understood by outsiders, inviting them to become insiders and to join in your journey, your exploration of this God who is as deep as the ocean and, and is, who is as vast as space, somebody who could never be truly completely figured out. And so I invite you, um, embark upon one, I bet you, you know, somebody in one of these groups. Um, and like I said, I hope one of them knocks on your door today and, and just ask them, you know, Hey, can we sit down and look at the scriptures and actually see what the Bible says about God and not just God, the father, but the entirety of God. And so I invite you to do that today. Um, and let me know how it goes. Um, respond back, Jeremy at all things, all people.org or go to, go to Instagram, all things dot all people. And let me know how that conversation goes and let me know your own thoughts on, you know, who, who exactly is God. Um, and, uh, and let me know too, if, if maybe you might realize that maybe even our own devotional aspects of, of relating to God have been short-sighted and that we maybe have, have dove too far into viewing God as God, the father and Jesus in the spirit as, you know, these other, these other lesser gods functionally, because I think, I think we've gone too far down that path. And so thank you for joining in on this conversation, uh, this episode of Basecamp as we go out, uh, as members of the exploration society, um, Basecamp serves as our hub is our conversation point for coming back in and debriefing about what we've learned. And so until next time, see ya.